0: Here's the Smart Retirement Cast brought to you by Smart Retirement Media. Now, here's your hosts, Mike and Matt.
1: Hey listeners, welcome back for another episode of your Smart Retirement Podcast. Matt Hollander and myself are here live from our shelter in place offices. Matt, how you doing out there in Arizona?
2: Going a little stir crazy, Mike, but uh, hanging in there nonetheless. Uh, finding things around the house that I've uh, been putting off for a bit, and uh, Amazon is delivering lots of uh, home improvement items to the home. So uh, it's been good. It's been good.
1: Yeah, Amazon had to hire almost seventy thousand new workers with the demand they're getting right now. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, listeners, we hope you're doing well. We understand that you know, much like Matt says, you might be getting a little stir crazy. I've seen all types of funny memes on Facebook for this shelter-in-place thing. This this forced shelter-in-place slash forced recession is something that many generations have never seen in this country. Um, uh, mind you, the world. So um, Matt and I are always excited to do this show for you every two weeks. Um, we're going to touch on a couple things today I think will help you as listeners. You're getting a lot of different articles, a lot of different news, uh, videos, reports coming to your smartphones and and watching on your your favorite media uh, channels. We're going to touch on a couple of those things today and just kind of let you know what we think those mean. We'll also touch on the beginning of what will be probably the whole quarter twos theme, which will be, are we going to be in a recession that recovers quickly and sharp like a V shape or something more like a U shape? Or are we going to recover maybe over one and a half to two years, more like an L shape. But before we get to all that jazz on the show, uh, we do have a question from one of our listeners out in Burbank, California. Um, Betty, thanks for writing in to us. She wanted to know, Matt, this is going to fall into your area of expertise. She wanted to know, um, you know, she has money in a brokerage account and um, she's interested in, in an annuity. She wants to um, sell some of her funds in a brokerage account and move those into an annuity. But she's worried about the tax implications of moving the funds. So could you help give her some advice and some of our listeners the same advice?
2: Sure. So, I mean, that's a pretty common theme that we especially are hearing right now during today's markets is people trying to run to a little bit of safety. And I'm not going to say that that's necessarily the, the best idea, uh, you know, jumping out of the market on the downside. But at the same time, you need to be able to sleep at night. And if we have to give up some of those gains that we've had over the past few years and just kind of write those off as a loss, and we want to say, OK, we know what's in this account. We need this amount of money to retire on and we want to be able to not be kept up at night worrying about these things. Uh, I think an annuity could make a lot of sense. And on top of that, as far as taxes go, uh, it kind of depends. Now, if she said it's a brokerage account, I have to assume that it's an after tax type of account. Um, usually like an IRA accounts not necessarily called a brokerage account so an IRA is really simple you just sell the funds that are inside of it you can move over cash uh, from an IRA to an IRA or a 401k to an IRA and there is no tax liability for doing something like that it's just a simple uh, rollover or transfer of uh, custodianship to the insurance company that issues that annuity Uh, now in her scenario if it is an after-tax account brokerage account depending on the funds and things that are in there, she might've had uh, some type of gain over these last couple of years. If she hasn't given up everything as far as the gains are concerned, when you sell, you're still going to have to realize what little gain may be left. And you're going to have to pay tax on that amount of money. Um, There's really no way around that, except in the scenario where maybe your portfolio is built with, uh, you know, tax-free municipal bonds, things like that, where there's no uh, tax liabilities for getting in out of these funds. So, uh, it kind of is, is a depends type of question, but uh, definitely something you can do. And then keep in mind, a lot of these annuities have bonuses, especially right now. The insurance companies are really trying to ramp up uh, business and accept more business. So they're increasing bonuses that they're issuing to their uh, new clients. So you might be able to get a 10, 15% bonus on your money, which hopefully would take care of a lot of the tax liability that you'd be responsible for. Now, you're not going to get that in the form of a check. It's going to go inside of your account but it is a realized bonus um, right away so you might have to keep the money in the account for some period of time to actually be able to take it out but it it will be in your account and growing so uh, i think that could be a good way to be looking at okay yes there may be a little bit of tax here but i think there's probably some ways that we can overcome it uh, outside of having to pay uncle sam and the irs so good question betty thanks for writing in
1: yeah and and much like betty i think a lot of our listeners are trying to find ways to proportion uh, either a significant proportion or a small proportion, depending on their age and time of horizon, when they need this money to something a bit more risk-free what's nice about the insurance market is it's always hanging out there. You know what I mean? It's like in the good years, people are like, yeah, I mean, sure. I could probably do an annuity, but I mean, then look at these gains.
2: Yeah, look at these gains. It's hard to want to walk away from those gains, but you have to be the realist sometimes and say, well, it's not always going to be like that. And what I had found over the last three or four years is everyone was getting very, very complacent with where the market is and almost forgot what could happen overnight in a, in a 2008 type of scenario. And we're seeing it all over again. Uh, yeah. Maybe not as bad. We'll see how this recovers. As you, as you said, Mike, that's going to be kind of the topic of today's show. But the future is kind of uncertain at this point, wouldn't you say? It certainly is. And that's listeners. I'm so glad you said that Matt listeners. What we're going to try to do is
1: first and foremost, help you break down some of this information that's coming at you just at light speed, um, left, right, and center. It's almost like, you know, remember when Luke Skywalker put on his, his, <laughs> uh, his, his, uh, blindfolds and had to train how to fend off laser beams yeah. with his, I mean, I know I'm going up and up and up on your list of people that are the nerdiest people, as you know, right now, but, but what I'm getting at metaphorically is that you've got to re you've got to really deflect some of this information. Some of it's just downright doom and gloom. Some of it's, um, what I think is very, very interesting information, like the way that the oil market is making some changes, historical changes it's never made before. Um, Some of it's just the way in which we process how fast or how slow this recession is going to take or recover and what that means, not just for your income and for your livelihood, but maybe for your children, maybe for people you really care about. So um, one of the things I want to think, I I always re-listen to our shows, Matt, you know that I know you do it too. Absolutely. Um, One thing I want to say right now, and Matt and I both want to say this to you listeners, when we're doing this show, we really try to stay positive. I know sometimes in the last two episodes, we, we haven't been joking about COVID-19, but we've just been kind of uh, upbeat. And I want you to know that both of us have big concerns in our life about this disease. Um, we're not taking it lightly, but as, as your you know podcast hosts, we do want to stay on the positive to neutral side of things when we do this show. We're not going to try to force you into any products because we think the end is coming. And I, and if you listen to shows in the last two episodes and you thought, man, they're really jovial with all this, it's just because we like to keep a positive frame of mind. You know, Matt's got an older father who he definitely doesn't want to see uh, this virus affect. I've got a younger niece that's almost three years old who has respiratory issues. So we are definitely worried about what this virus can do. But today and for every show, we want to focus on how the macro and micro econ- economy is going to affect your retirement. Cause that's really what we're here to talk about. So we're going to get into a great article for Forbes wrote that talks about the shape of things to, to come. We're going to go into breaking that down. We've got a nice video from black Knight. Black Knight is an information business. They, they focus a lot on the real estate sector. So they've got good quality information, not just with banking supply chains or, these forbearances that are coming out where people are actually putting their mortgages on hold. They're also talking about the listings and what's coming on in the real estate market. So we're going to touch on that in the next and after this break, and we're going to really get into and help you over the next four episodes. Dive, get into this information, divulge what this information is saying and give you an idea of what we think is a smart retirement move based on the way things are progressing and how this recession is, is shaping up. So Listeners, stick around. After this break, we'll get right into this content. We're really excited to be able to provide this to you while you're sheltering home at place.
0: Honestly, when was the last time you really took a hard look at your retirement plan? With the way the market's been, it's easy to become complacent. A new decade is upon us, which comes with a lot of questions. Can the economy and market continue to grow? What will the next election do to my investments? How can I best maneuver to maximize return? The answer? It's simple. Get a second opinion from a team like Century Financial Consultants. With over 40 years of financial planning experience, give Century Financial Consultants a call today at 866-53-RETIRE. That's 866-53-RETIRE. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender, licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act, NMLS number 328358. Mike Points is a licensed loan officer in California, NMLS number 1246224, and is only licensed to offer advice on mortgage products. He is not licensed as an investment advisor. All of the mortgage products Mike Points will discuss on this show are for educational purposes, and these products should be reviewed by a licensed loan officer before taking these mortgages on as your own, as they may not fit your specific situation or needs.
2: And something without warning love Bears heavy on my mind Then I look at you And the world's alright with me Just one look at you And I know
1: All right, listeners. Mike Points here, your co-host with Central Coast Lending, accompanied by Matt Hollander, and uh, just want to get into the meat and potatoes now. Just a couple of things that are going on with all the media. You know, media in a nutshell tries to uh, tries to get you going down a certain path and a thinking uh, philosophy. Here, one of the things I'm seeing all the time now is what is the shape of the recession going to be. And what they're talking about is like if you were to look at the graph right now and you'd obviously the graph would be showing the, the production or the, the strength of the economy with a line bar going down, right? Definitely going down. Um, the question is, what's the shape of the correction going to be? So a V would be a quick correction, right? And L would be long a long line along the bottom and then kind of an uptick over time, more like a traditional capital letter L. Other Another shape that's very commonly spoken of right now is a U. So, you know, probably a couple quarters where we're at the bottom and then pulling up. Uh, We're going to use an article today that I thought was very, Matt brought to my attention, but I thought was really good from Forbes. And, um, you know, Forbes, obviously very well-respected financial um, journalist, writing articles of all different types of topics, but the, the, Title of this article is the shape of things to come. Is it V or L or which recovery shape would we have? So, um, Matt, as just as we get into the article here, um, I know you wanted to take over and talk about some of these parts, but I wanted to set that up for our listeners.
2: Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to kind of discuss a little bit of looking into quarter two. Uh, you know, what some things could look like and what. Uh, things on the lines of employment, auto sales, all the different travel type of stuff. How that's going to really affect what is going to probably come here in in the near future? Um, you know, looking through this article here, we've got a negative thirty eight percent, negative thirty four, negative thirty, and negative twenty five percent, and just rattling off those four numbers. I mean, what do you think those might have in common?
1: It feels like those are the. That's like the performance versus last year of of the stock exchange, or you know the S and P five hundred, or Dow.
2: Jones. Close, yeah, close. So essentially, what that those numbers represent um, is the quarter two real uh, GDP forecast from four of the major financial houses. So like Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, J P Morgan, and so what they're saying is because of all these things that could be coming up, that they're having a negative outlook on the way Q2 is going to be. So it's a question of how bad is Q2 going to be? Because we know uh, with kind of everything shut down, you know, the market's not going to be, well, I shouldn't say the market, but the, uh, you know, all the established businesses and things are not going to be doing really, really well unless they're like, uh, you know, some medical equipment sales and things like that, right? So a lot of the Typical day to day things, whether it be uh, you know your auto sales, your uh, travel industry, those aren't going to be doing as well as they probably would have been should this virus not have came around, right? Yeah, even
1: things like that touch the the very small domestic market, like childcare facilities. You know, yeah, um, I know. It being on the board of the Home Builders Association here in our regional area of California, construction's down a ton. You know, um, they don't want it to be down. It's a necessary business. But what's happening is that all the little like complementary businesses are making a decision whether it's necessary for them to work or not. So like, you know, inspectors that go out and make sure certain phases are done. and So, it, so on and so forth. So it's not just, it, it's not just like the big box stores and, you know, Kaiser Permanente's or, you know, large healthcare facilities. It's the small restaurants too, right? I mean, restaurants yeah. probably lead um, a bulk of of this disappointment in GDP, with regards to sales, I know they're doing takeout and pickup, but they're just not getting the same type of engagement because the fear factor, you know.
2: Absolutely, and you know a lot of the you know small restaurants and things. Other than their food sales, I think the majority of their sales probably come from their alcohol sales, right? And yes, you can get alcohol to go in some states now, um, but in reality, you're going to order maybe one drink, right? Whereas if you're sitting inside the restaurant, it might be two or three drinks, maybe a cocktail and then a glass of wine with dinner type of deal. So right. I think they're missing out on all that as well. And interestingly enough, I was looking through this report and they're also saying that healthcare care uh, is actually being hit quite hard as well. And I think that comes a lot when and I think they're taking healthcare and kind of bringing that all together with um uh, you know things that aren't necessarily mandatory type of health services that people just aren't going into the doctors and things to have done right now because they don't want to suscept themselves to being around somebody that may be sick in that doctor's office, right? Yeah. So that was kind of uh, an interesting statistic that I, uh, as we were looking through this list, I, I just didn't think I would have seen something with healthcare, but it does uh, definitely does make sense.
1: Yeah. And just to be clear, this is not the quarter one reports that are coming out this week. I mean, we're going to see probably single digit mishits or like drops in what expectations were versus actuals in Q1. Because remember, January was phenomenal. I mean, January, the market was still going very well. Um, the I think the S&P reached an all-time high in January, if I'm not mistaken, Matt. Mm-hmm. And, and so this is like happening now through June will be reporting to the stock exchange floor in um, July and what's nice is that so a lot of the I don't know if you read this map but the SEC is adding a special section to their reports coming from CEOs and CFOs from major corporations that report to the Dow Jones and s p 500 that in addition to reporting their earnings, they're going to more so than ever listen to what their forecast is for Q one, Q two, and Q three, oh. um, because I think what the S SN- the SEC and everyone else listening to the show knows it's not going to be great news. The question is, what is the shape of this recovery going to be?
2: Sure, and I mean Thank coming you. out of March, uh, where we've had the largest one month decline. Uh, You know, as far as job losses go in history of our country, um, those are some statistics you look at and say, well, how is this economy really going to be able to recover in a V, right? Is it going to be able to do it quick enough with all these people laid off? Is everyone going to be able to go back to work, right? And if so, when? This is the
1: first time in our country's existence that we've forced a recession. I mean, we usually it comes from lack of performance or a, a major crash in a market, like the mortgage crash of 09, you know, the dot com crash in the early 2000s, um, you know, the savings bank and loan in the 80s. There's a major event that comes and ripples through the economy. This was basically the government and state governments staying, saying to, for us to stay in home, you know, yeah. let's flatten this curve. And, and obviously, a derivative of that is this recession. So when I see things like major unemployment, um, claims right off the bat. It's no wonder. I mean, business owners didn't even have the, the opportunity to prepare for this.
2: Right. And you know, all this money that the, uh, they freed up through the cares act, uh, a lot of people are still waiting on it and it could be weeks or it could be, you know, a few months down the road before they see any of that money. So if they didn't have the operating capital to continue what they're doing, um, saved up. I mean, it, it, it's kind of frightening, right? Um, I, I, quite honestly, I think if we get through April and they extend this thing out further, um, I wouldn't be surprised to see that the unemployment rate in this country hit uh, around twenty percent or higher.
1: Yeah, I've read that as well. What but, but, let's stay into this article. I do think that's important. Yeah. It's important to state that. I mean, we're at what was the figure? What is our unemployment figure now, Matt? Is it seven?
2: Yeah, it's right. I think it's right around 7%. It was going up. I haven't, let me see if I can find it here. Um, Yeah, I think it was, it was hovering, it was jumping up to about 8.7%. Yeah, it's on pace um, for that. On pace for that. So (sighs) hard to say.
1: Yeah. And um, once we get to 10, you know, so a lot of these people too, I don't know if you have friends in the restaurant business, most of their bosses have said, look, I just got to get you on unemployment for now and as soon i'll as bring this, it right back yeah. yeah i'll bring it right back but that's you know what's difficult about that especially for someone that's of the, the mid-range employee. so like you know you're you're not minimum wage you're not executive status but right in that mid-range you're taking a hit on what you're actually getting from unemployment now the treasurer has tried to do their part and and if you've read this they've upped the amount you're getting per week more than what the the maximum allowed is. So they're upping that. But it's still a shocking number when that's going to be six or eight weeks. When it's three to six weeks, it's a different story than, you know, nine to 12 weeks, just because most people, most families and households in this nation don't have enough in savings.
2: Right. And then, I mean, going back to your restaurant topic there, Mike, I mean, uh, I, I haven't looked at how California does this in many years since I lived there and was working a, a waiter job, but uh, I know he- out here in Arizona, I mean, they don't pay the uh, restaurant employees, like the waiters, the busters, that type of stuff, uh, minimum wage. They've got a way around it. So essentially they've got like a 4 or $5 minimum wage and then the rest is tips, right? And they're probably only reporting their credit card tips not necessarily the cash tips. So when they go to file for unemployment, their actual earnings aren't going to be there, right? As high as what their normal standard of living is going to be. So I think when they go to file for unemployment, we also have that issue there of, yeah, they've got money coming in, but it doesn't meet what their, their needs were and are from, you know, that they've lived accustomed to. So interesting stuff.
1: Yeah. Um, well, what do we, there's other reports about the economy to go over, um, yeah, I
2: mean, we can talk about, and I brought this up. Uh, I don't remember if it was last episode or the episode before, but we were talking about the uh, auto industry, right, and how that's going to be impacted because you're not going to the car dealership right now and uh, test driving a new car, right? I'm getting emails consistently from all the different dealerships that I've dealt with previously, and you know, they're like, "Hey, we'll do a virtual uh, tour of this car for you, and we can negotiate right over uh, right over the phone." Right, and you're like, well, this is the thing I've always wanted to do when I go buy a car is negotiate before I buy it. They never want to do it. Now they're begging us to do it because they know that you're not coming in to to look at the cars. So, yeah, what we're seeing is, you know, about let's see, uh, call it about a ten percent, fifteen percent decrease uh, in auto sales through March, and I think April is probably going to be even farther down. Uh, you know, the I, I've gotten an email. I've got a lease for the for the company car. And they basically said, you know, hold on to the vehicle uh, for an extra couple months. We'll take, we'll eat the payment and just return it after the COVID virus is over. So what they're hoping is you don't turn the car in, they get you back on that sales lot and they can flip you into another car rather than you just dropping it off or having uh, whoever the company is come pick up the car from your house at the end of the lease. So interesting stuff going on there. Again, you know, nothing like this ever happened in the country. I think everyone's still trying to figure out how to survive and in, in today's market.
1: Well, speaking of not buying cars, I mean, people aren't driving cars, I mean, I, <laughs> right? My car, i no, no, BS. My car has sat in the same exact place. it sat when I got back from visiting you in Arizona on March 15th. So it's, been yeah, I, believe it. I mean, we have two cars, but you know, my car I use specifically for business meetings and things of that nature to go to the golf course. And it's just, I mean, there's like spider webs between the front bumper and the ground now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I actually have to get that occasionally, but.
1: (laughs) Well, we take one car and it's anyways, we go grocery shopping for two weeks at a time, which I hope many of you are trying to do. Um, But we've got this, because of this lack of driving, we've got this glut of oil in the industry that's way over surplus, Mm -hmm. therefore driving price down. I mean, in California, gas prices are 2.85 a gallon which is shocking for a lot of people you know in oklahoma i think it's like less than a dollar is what i read
2: yeah arizona is still high interestingly enough uh, i actually had to make a drive out there to to pick up some auto part stuff uh last week and um, gas was actually cheaper in california than it was in arizona which <laughs> crazy enough right Probably just because you guys get the oil first and it has to come over here. So,
1: right. Right. But with that, that being said, I mean, there's uh, the, the point here's, let me bring it back to, you know, the focus of this show for today. Like the oil industry itself has been shocked by this, this forced recession, the employment industry, employers alone, depending on which industry have been just completely shocked by this forced recession. And that's why we've seen so many unemployment, um, I mean, th- their liquidity is good when the business is running at, you know, sixty percent. Their 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 solvency and liquidity is great when it's running at eighty to a hundred percent. So they can still keep people on. But this has gone down to like twenty percent revenue. So it's no wonder everyone's unemployment. But I want you listeners to think this is not like, you know, the sky is falling. Uh, it really is try to pay attention when you're reading these things is to see how fast. Um, employers and truly the Fed are able to help get us back on track here. Um, There's a couple other things we want to talk about here in the financial markets. Did you want to add anything else from this article, Matt?
2: Um, Not as far as markets. You know, I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, the V and the L, but if, do you want to take a break first or do you want to get into that? Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Okay. Okay. Um, so let's discuss that a little bit. So you brought it up earlier, Mike, you were saying, okay, what is a V an L or a U, right? So, uh, the V is what I think most people are crossing their fingers for. Um, so our V recovery, I mean, for that to happen, we need to get, probably get out of this thing in the next two to three weeks. And I'm not sure how realistic that's going to be. Uh, we're seeing what's happening in China right now. They tried to yeah. let everyone go back and their cases are spiking again. So we yeah. have to be careful. And I don't think the United States wants to make that mistake of putting, you know, our population at danger. So if they have to delay this thing, I think they're going to, uh, but a V shape is going to require probably to see, like we saw last week, just a couple of days of the Dow, uh, really just hitting, you know, thousand point days up, up. And it would have to do that over, you know, a a few weeks period. And that'll, that'll get us back on track. But I don't see, I don't see the
1: wind. I don't see the wind in our sails to do that unless a vaccine is talked about.
2: I, I would tend to agree with you, Mike. Um, You know, I, I'd love it to be a V, but I just don't see it being realistic. You know, I don't think until there's a vaccine and things put out, it's gone through human trials and human trials, you know, that could take three to six months from what I've been reading. I mean, it depends on the source, but I mean, it's going to be some time until that works. Um, so then we probably should be looking at more of a U or an L shaped, um, recovery, right? So the U is going to be maybe two to three quarters coming around. And then that L, you know, that's that long-term recovery. Um, you know, like you said, Mike, year and a half, two years. I'd um, say yeah,
1: that's a full year from March yeah. of this year. So we're looking at quarter two of next year before we get some real good improvement. And that's see, that's where it gets very speculative for me. I just don't know how we have enough information at this time to see it as an L is likely. I think it's good to plan for an L, which is why we have this show. I mean, we're gonna talk about a couple things you could do if you're thinking if you're listening to this show and you're saying no. Matt and Mike, it's not a U, it's not a V, it's going to be an L. We've got some things at the end of the show today we're going to talk about with you being able to access. Matt touched on some of those, you know, with you know converting your you know, some of your brokered funds into an annuity and looking at you know some streamlined payments. Maybe it's time to start doing that. There's other things we're going to talk about with regards to accessing your liquidity, which we always talk about on the show. I mean, it's we're being redundant because we think it's smart, right? Um, You know, there's things that the fixed income market, I think, deserves a bit of a a bit of time in this conversation, because I think what we're seeing is, you know, we're seeing the Fed, the Federal Reserve, you know, the chairman board and the all the federal banks really hoist up this treasury market right now. They're trying to keep it so that our our yield on a 10 year interest rate or even a two or five year interest rate don't go into the negative Um, yeah you know that that requires a a real big shift and that could be something that 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 really flat spins out of control Um, in order to do that they have to basically fund and put liquidity into this market so they're buying up these these treasury bills now this was one of the key things that got us out of the mortgage crash in 09 and 10 was this quantitative easing so it's it feels good for them. They've they've got some data that shows that they can do this. You know, keep in mind though, when treasure when the treasury puts more money into the system, it leads to things like inflation, and and there is some good for it, but long term there can also be some challenges. So,
2: yeah, Mike, we, I don't know if, if I think I brought it up in our last episode, but you saw that the uh, they're thinking about doing a fifty year uh, treasury. Yes. I so that would be that. that that would be interesting. I mean, that's. Basically leaning on the feds to for consistent payments over that long of a term. I mean, that would be pretty interesting to see happen. Um, if you don't mind, my I want to get back to the the U for just a second. Of course. Um, and I just kind of wanted to give a little bit more explanation into that. So we we've kind of covered, you know, the V, why we don't think that's gonna work, at least between you and I. I mean, everyone's gonna have different feelings on this. But, you know, I think the longer the shutdown continues. And I think the more and more possible, a, a U is probably, in my eyes, what we're going to see, right? I think the longer this thing is going on, the fewer number of surviving businesses we're going to see in uh, see, you know, making it through this. And as I brought up earlier, yeah, the CARES Act came out. They came out with funds, but it might have been a little too late, right? Um, what's one of the big theaters? I'm try- I don't have it off the top of my head, but... It was, uh, I think, Regal like Theater. Regal. Club. Yeah, Regal. And they were, you know, kind of teetering. And now I think they they might be going into bankruptcy just for this, you know, this shortened business in a one, one and a half month period. So a lot of that I think we're going to see. Um, the other thing that we have to keep an eye on and, and why I think this is going to take two to three quarters at least to recover from is all the businesses that have been closed, right? They're, they're depleting all of their cash. They've had losses so they have to rebuild those surpluses, right? So they're not going to be going out and expanding um, and building and stimulating other parts of the economy. They're going to be focused on their industry and their sector to where we're not going to see a lot of things going. So in this article that we were reading, um, they're, they're saying politically as a result of this, that on top of the CARES Act, we might even see another infrastructure bill introduced uh, you know, here in the future. So kind of going on with that quantitative easing kind of advancing upon that uh you know creating another bill injecting more funds to these businesses to help them recover uh because again i mean this wasn't anything that uh you know the economy was doing wrong like you said this was a forced recession right so it'll be interesting to see kind of how that plays out and then again if, if if we want to be really bearish towards the market we say an l um you know, I think it, it, it's definitely possible, but I think it's going to be a question of when does life go back to normal, right? I don't think anyone really can say that with 100% certainty yet, because this all is so new, right? Yeah. I'm preparing personally for everything to, to be the way that it is right now with everything closed until probably the end of June. That's yeah. kind of where I'm at. Whether or not that happens, we'll see. I hope it's not the case. Um, but from what I'm seeing, they're going to try to err on the side of caution with this thing. So I think we'll start seeing some businesses uh, start opening up again. But I don't think we're going to be back into a full swing until you know probably July, might even be August to September. But um, hopefully, it's sometime this year.
1: Yeah, some sectors are completely. Like triple capacity right now, though, as well. So it's it's just odd for some sectors, such as the healthcare industry. Obviously, they take the they're taking the brunt of it in this sure. economy. Um, you know, my sector, the mortgage sector, is is just you know we just can't get enough fish. We have fish falling out of the boat. There's so many <laughs> fish in the boat, and, and I know we'll talk on that in the next break a little bit. But um, there there's like the grocery store industry. It's going nuts. I've got two or three clients. My my brother in law is in the grocery industry. He's in a nice, like privately held grocery company in San Francisco, very like high end. And he said they're just they can't stock the shelves fast enough.
2: Yeah, well, let's do that, Mike. Let's go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, we can discuss a little bit more on. Let's talk about the real estate stuff because I know you're itching to talk about that, and I'd love to hear uh, some of your thoughts there. So, listeners, stick around. We'll be right back after this quick break.
1: Hey guys, Mike Points, co-host of Smart Retirement Podcast and a licensed loan officer. Let me ask you a question. When is the last time you sat down with your mortgage officer to discuss how your mortgage is going to affect you during retirement or how the current products and laws out there now are different from when you originally got your mortgage? Allow my team of retirement specialists and myself to put together a proposal for you that shows all of the different products and options you have right now. This is something we can implement in the next one to two months that helps you improve your current situation. If you're not able to remove your mortgage payment with your current mortgage, if you're not able to tap into the liquidity, and if you're not able to prepare better for healthcare costs, I want to show you how we can do that. So please contact me by calling 866-53-RETIRE, option two. Once again, that's 866-53-RETIRE, option two, or contact me at info at
0: smartretirementcast.com. Look forward to hearing from you soon. And MLS number 124-6224.
1: all right, listeners, thanks for sticking around for our show here on Smart Retirement Podcast. We hope you're enjoying it today. Please note if any of the topics we talked about today make you want to have a further discussion with us or you want to reach out to us about your own personal needs, that you contact us by dialing 866 53 RETIRE. Option one puts you right over to Mr. Hollander. You can talk about any, anything that you'd like to do with your retirement assets. Um, option two would push you over to me. We could talk about anything in the mortgage sector, which would be any refinances, maybe planning for a purchase you want to do in the upcoming year. Maybe you were planning to list your house or any reverse mortgage topics we could talk about on how to prep you for your financing. So as we get into the last segment of our break here, I wanted to touch on what's happening in the mortgage sector. Some of you that have been going through refinances have seen a bit of a uh Uh, I should say not a bit, but a lot of volatility in the rates market. You probably have also seen some less than good communication from your lender because of how things have been backed up on their side of the supply chain. So um, what I'm going to have Matt do is I'm going to have him play a video here from Andy Walden. He's with Black Knight. Black Knight is a company that does all types of statistical research um, for us in the mortgage sector, helping us understand uh, not only uh, the, the typical workflow and volume of loan applications with regards to refinances or purchases, but also helps us forecast what's coming on in the marketplace. So I'm going to have Matt play this video here by Andy Walden with Black Knight. He's going to talk about, he's the director of the market research for the company. So Matt, go ahead and give that a play.
3: Andy, it's good to see you again. Why are they typing standards so much?
4: You know, it's it's pretty usual behavior. Anytime you see an increase in risk or uncertainty in the market, the first thing that tends to take place is they step back on the amount of risk that they're willing to take on. And and one of the easy ways to do that is increasing uh, credit score standards.
3: Won't they make more money, though, if they put out more mortgages?
4: Uh, Typically, yes, but I think what you see in in that J.P. Morgan announcement is they're shifting those resources from the purchase side over to the refinance side, and and when you look at it from a lending perspective, they're dealing with dueling risks right now, right? So from a purchase side, they have a risk of taking on more risk in in new homeowners. Uh, On the refinance side, they're facing a risk of paying homeowners refinancing out of their portfolio and then losing those revenues. So they're really killing two birds with one stone by reducing the amount of risk they're taking on by also retaining the, the clients that they have in portfolio.
3: Interesting. I still, for the rest of the housing market, it's terrible news. And so I wonder if someone's going to step up into that void after 0809, We saw obviously the non-bank lenders become the biggest part of the market. Can they step up now?
4: yeah and that's exactly right. So if you look at the large banks, they really have been very risk averse ever since the financial crisis. And if you look even back before CoVID, the average credit score on purchase loans from those big banks was in the 750 range. So maybe that 700 credit score sounds a little worse than it really is. They really haven't been participating in that lower end of the market in recent years.
3: So finally, on this, do you think that you know for the housing market in general, what we're seeing will now put a break on even the small amount of activity there is or have less of an overall effect.
4: Yeah, I think when you're looking at the housing market over the, over the near term, right, I think it's important to take a bifocal view, right? And if you look over the next few months, maybe not as much of an impact. We've already seen a, a decline in foot traffic out there and folks looking for homes, you're seeing a decline in, in uh, online home searches, you're seeing a decline in listings out there already. So this may have a marginal impact on near-term housing fundamentals. If you look over the long run, potentially, right? And I think maybe what you're seeing from some of these companies is they're trying to get a better feel for what we see in unemployment in coming weeks, what the risks are down-term, and then they can adjust accordingly.
3: Right. And you guys, I mean, yourselves have some Kind of alarming numbers where you talk about how many delinquencies we could see on pe- you know, on mortgages if we get an unemployment rate at 10%, two million delinquencies. You know, we're talking about 30% unemployment potentially, and that's 19% delinquencies. So, what's the, What effect will that have across the industry?
4: Yeah, that's exactly right. I think we're starting to see those numbers come in already. If you look at some of the actual data, and we've started to collect daily data. You're seeing the NBA reports and numbers out there as well. They're all pretty well in line, and what we're seeing so far is somewhere in the neighborhood of 1.5 to 2 million homeowners that may have already become uh, delinquent or or in need of those forbearance plans is probably a better way uh, to say that. So you're already seeing pretty significant volumes. To put that in historical context, if we compare that to the Great Recession, it took two years before we saw 2 million homeowners become delinquent back in 2008 now we're seeing that level of forbearance volume in a couple of weeks so some significant run-ups and I think everybody's kind of waiting to see where unemployment goes from here and where those forbearance and, and risk numbers go
3: right exactly and see if that worsens the problem already of uh, mortgages right. existing for the people who need them Andy it's good to see you thanks we appreciate the info as always
1: thanks Matt well listeners so there you have it I mean there's a couple of things you touched on too um right off the bat what what um Andy Walden was talking about there is that some of the bigger banks have now ratcheted down on their appetite for loans. So if you have a FICO score, that's the, the credit score. It's a it's a merge of, of your three scores. They take the middle score. If you have a FICO score of less than 700, these larger banks are just not even going to take a loan application from you now. So they're tightening down their guidelines because of two things. Like he said, he mentioned You know, their loans in their portfolio need to stay there. Um, But also the amount of mortgage business that banks are getting is somewhere between 350 to 400 percent of their normal production. So everyone and their mother is trying to refinance because the, the rates have dropped a full percent in the last six weeks. So they just want a better rate and a better term scenario. Some some of them are trying to get out of FHA loans and and, and where they can get a better grasp on what their private mortgage insurance is going to be and a, and a better deal. Some of them, honest to God, are trying to go through the refinance process just because when you close out a refinance in the month of April, you typically, uh, we would collect daily interest for the remaining days in the month of April, but we wouldn't charge ask you to make a mortgage payment until June 1st. So just that natural transaction methodology is helping people skip an April payment, not have a May payment and have a June payment. So that gives them that flexibility without going into what Andy was talking about there, which is the forbearance. Forbearance, you know what I don't like about this article, which I I think Andy, if if you had a Chance to share a beer with him, he would open up on this a lot more. But he didn't have time on CNBC to to get into all the nitty gritty details. Forbearance is not foreclosure, okay? Forbearance is contacting your servicer, um, and honestly, this has been marketed to the average consumer by the federal government, and through the CARES Act, has been written into law that the servicers are giving you up to a ninety day forbearance. every servicer has a different way they're going to handle that. What I've seen from one of my clients so far that's shared the paperwork with me from their forbearance they're trying to get is that all of that interest that you would have made in your normal mortgage payment for April, for May, for June, all that interest is getting stacked onto the backside of the loan. Okay. so what that means is your payment's not going to change when you come out of forbearance. It's going to stay the same. But the amount of your payment that's going to pay off interest is going to be more than if you did not do a forbearance. So you'll keep the same payment, but there's no like win-win situation here where, you know, if you can't make the payment, I think you need to go through forbearance first. You have the right and the CARES Act protects you for that. You get 90 days of no payment but after that 90 days no one in this country yet knows what's coming after that. Matt earlier in the show mentioned that there's probably going to need to be more stimulus. I bet you there's going to need to be more discussion about this forbearance where it may become more of a norm if we take that L shape in this recession recovery.
2: I think you're absolutely right. You know,
1: I don't th- I can tell you right now with certainty. I'm not a microeconomist, but I deal with many people every day and the only faith that a lot of people have right now especially that that 35 to 50 year old doesn't have a ton of assets but has a lot of equity in their home the only faith they have right now is that they've got a nice chunk of equity in that piece of real estate that they have many of our listeners have gotten to the end of their their working years and entered retirement and that equity in their home is a big chunk of what they're banking on for retirement so we don't want to see a mortgage crash. We do not want to see foreclosures. Um, but rest assured, there is a business model that has to be answered to. I mean, the mortgage-backed security market is a great market because thirty-year loans perform interest rate returns on notes with collateral at three and a half to four and a quarter percent right now. And that's a if you're a hedge fund manager. That's a nice way to balance out some return in your portfolio. And so you got to get paid on those things. So what's going to happen is, oh, we talk about this all the time. We want to inject where we think the Fed can help out and what they've already done. The Federal Reserve is going to really, really need to think hard in quarter two of this year. If we want to see a V or a U-shaped return, how involved they're going to get in helping these servicers make payments to their investors. Because If a servicer like Senlar or like Wells Fargo doesn't get your payment, that's fine. I mean, they can deal with that for a couple months, but that investor is still requiring a payment. And if I'm confusing you, the servicer is like the property manager of the real estate that you own. They deal with the lease. They deal with the tenants. They deal with the pest issues. They deal with the hot water heater breaking down. The investor is the landlord, right? And the landlord's looking to get that payment process to the property manager. The property manager is going to take their little piece, right? Because that's the contractual agreement. And they're going to mm-hmm. pass the rest of that money on to the landlord. And in the in the notes market, that's essentially the same supply chain of money and where it ends up. The servicer helps process the mortgage payment, applies the interest. Applies the principle, reduces the bookkeeping on their side, and produces a new statement for you. But that interest needs to go to a mortgage-backed security holder, and if we do that for too many months, that market will not hold up, and so that's where it's going to be very interesting to see how the Fed gets involved. Um, the other thing Andy said, um, which I thought was so great, is he and many of you may not know this term, but he he mentioned that big banks, Wells Fargo, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America. They've got a lot of loans in their portfolio. A portfolio is when a bank closes a loan, sells you a loan, the consumer, the borrower, the payer, and then they don't sell it off to the mortgage-backed security market. They don't sell it off to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. They keep it in on their balance sheet as a note receivable and it performs. And so they don't want to really, you know, if they keep FICO scores down into the normal 680 range, many, many banks were doing FICO scores up until this Monday to the 640 FICO range still. Well, if they open up the market as big as, as broad as that, then they're going to be churning over notes that are currently four and a quarter interest rate. And they're just going to be refinancing them into a 3.25 or 3.375 rate, which doesn't really help them get through this VU or L-shaped recession. So you're seeing just like you're saying, Hey, you know, do we really need to have, uh, you know, do we really need to have red meat and do we need to have all the fixings on all of our food right now? Or can we just get by with the stuff that we really need because we, we, we need to hunker down or tighten the belt strap as a household. These big banks are thinking the same way. Um, so I just want to make sure that it's clear that this this message, this information is coming through clear. These forbearances are not foreclosures. Okay. When you hear him say it took almost two years to get up to $2 million, $2 million foreclosures in the mortgage crash, these 1.25 million uh, forbearances, these people are being coached on how to get a forbearance. I mean, the average person, I would just tell you this, if you can make your payment, just make your payment. I put an article out last week on our Facebook site that would that led you to the CFPB um, website, which tells you exactly what to think about and how to go through the process with your servicer on how to forbear or, you know, uh, put your mortgage on pause to put it in layman terms. But if you can make your payment, just make your payment. I mean, it's better for you when you come back out of this thing. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to have the same payment, but if, if you don't look closely at your mortgage statement, more of that money is now going to interest than it would be going to principal. So you're basically extending your loan on the back end. Yep. Okay. There's a whole other discussion to be had, which we'll have in other episodes as we go through this quarter together with you guys, you listeners on what we think the shape is shaping up to be, but there's, you know, landlords not getting rent checks. There's, uh, you know, you're not being allowed to evict tenants. Um, so as these things continue to roll out, stick with us to talk about what we're seeing in the news and what we're seeing on articles. And we'll share videos like this one we shared today, or I should say this interview, like the one we shared today.
2: Right on. Uh, Mike, we're going to call it a wrap for, uh, for today's episode then.
1: I think we should, you know, anyone that's got concerns, you know, maybe you're sitting around and thinking, gosh, this is really getting on my, on my nerves. It's, it's affecting my sleep quotient. You can email us at info at Did I say that right, Matt?
2: It's info at smart retirement cast. So without hey, the pod.com we're getting there, we're getting yeah. there, but info uh...
1: at smart retirement com. Please send us some emails that are on your mind about, it doesn't have to be directly about, Hey, I want to switch from this type of product to this type of product. It can be just, hey, I'm thinking about this. What do you recommend I do? Matt has a tremendous setup right now where he can have a one-to-one meeting with you um right at his home office, just like you're sitting at his desk. Um and you can take as much time as they need, right, Matt.
2: Absolutely. And uh you know, well, you can also call in. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean you're welcome to call in to us too other than uh emailing 86653 retire and that's eight six six five three 53 retire uh, Option one will get you to me, and option two will get you over to Mike Points at Central Coast Lending. So listeners, thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, continue listening in. Uh, you know, Please make sure to be rating our show on whatever streaming thing you're looking at and listening to us on, and let's go out and make the rest of our lives the best of our lives. Thanks for tuning in today.
0: The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or construed as providing specific investment advice. Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including the potential loss of principle. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. Thanks for tuning into this podcast. California license number zero one seven five six three eight 0175638. NMLS number 1246224.
2: i